Good evening, brothers and sisters. It's good to be here once again. We have the privilege to welcome you all here, and also our new pastor, Pastor Tim, is with us, and will be leading our worship service. We have no further announcements this morning, or from earlier today, and so welcome, brother, and we grant we ask that God may grant you wisdom. Good afternoon. Such a privilege to be with you all this afternoon to worship our great God again. Uh, Please rise for our call to worship. Our call to worship for this afternoon comes from the first song that we'll be singing, Psalm 95, uh, the first three verses. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. Congregation, as we come to worship, we come humbly and we come confessing where our help comes from. So congregation, where does our help come from? Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. May grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's begin our worship by singing together Psalm 95, the first three stanzas. Thank you. 
Before we open God's word together, uh, let's come before our king's throne in a prayer for illumination. Let's pray together. Wonderful God of great renown, our great and glorious king. Lord, it is our joy to approach your your throne with confidence again this afternoon. As we just sang, Lord, there are no other kings or gods quite like you. And it's our privilege to call you our creator and our dear, beloved Father. But Lord, even here, where we've come to worship you, we need to beg for help for you first, from you first. Lord, as we're about to open your word together, we ask humbly that you might flood each of us here with your Holy Spirit. We ask that by your Spirit, you might throw our hearts and minds wide open as your word is read and your truth proclaimed. Lord, absolutely astound us this afternoon by who you are and what you are doing and how much you love us. And please, Lord, don't let us leave this place unchanged. Lord, may our worship, please, be pleasing in your sight and a blessing to us as well. We pray these things not because we deserve them, but in Jesus' name alone. Amen. So our scripture reading uh, for this afternoon comes from Ephesians 2. And that's context for this sermon and also for the sermon from earlier this afternoon. We'll be reading all of Ephesians 2. Because as you might have noticed, uh, Pastor Jeremy's reading, it begins with the words of the beginning of chapter 3, which is, For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles. And then our, our text for this afternoon's service it begins in verse 14, where Paul again says, For this reason I bow my knees. And so Paul explains in Ephesians chapter 2 what we're about to read together. And then he's about to burst out in prayer and then he catches himself. He talks about Pastor Jeremy's text from earlier. And then he actually goes into the prayer. So we'll read what Paul's talking about in chapter 2, which is the context for his prayer that we'll preach on this afternoon. This is the word of the Lord. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, Because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, 
You who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, and having broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the laws of the commandments expressed in the ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Now let's sing together in response. Psalm 16, stanzas 1, 3, and 5.
Let's turn together to our text for this afternoon, uh, which is Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 to 21. Ephesians 3, verse 14 to 21. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Thus far our reading of Scripture. Brothers and sisters, I wonder, what drives you and makes you fall down on your knees? What fills you with such strong emotion that your knees want to buckle out under you? I think often it's tragedy, isn't it? You hear about a war, maybe you hear about destruction from an earthquake or a famine, maybe you hear about the passing away of a loved one or a friend, and it makes you fall on your knees in humility and dependence. It makes you look to the only place you possibly can for answers, uh, to our God who's perfectly powerful, perfectly good, and in control. That's one thing that can make us fall down on our knees. But it's not just tragedy that evokes this kind of response, is it? We can also fall to our knees in awe, can't we? In, in amazement. And maybe an incredible story or, or seeing a beautiful landscape or a beautiful sunset. That too can humble us. Can make our knees weak. Can make us call out in praise to the one who's in control of all things. There are all kinds of different things that can make us weak in the knees. But not just anything can. Only the truly spectacular Oh, only the the mind-blowing, only life-changing events. And that's an important thing to keep in mind coming to this passage. Because how does our passage start? Starts with the Apostle Paul falling to his knees. And this is important to note. Paul mentions it for a reason. Typically, a Jewish man would pray standing up. Falling to your knees in prayer was reserved for moments of deepest need and of deepest praise and emotion. And this is one of those times for Paul. And like I said, he's already, he's sort of stumbling over his words here. The Greek is really difficult. And he's already had a false start for this prayer. Paul really wants to fall to his knees in prayer because of what he's thinking about, what he's wrestling with. And so what is moving Paul so much that he wants to fall down, his knees want to buckle under him in prayer? Well, we just read it together. What Paul is thinking about is the church. 
Does thinking about the church make your knees want to buckle from under you? Does it make you want to call out in praise? I don't think too often. But Paul is thinking about the good news of the church here. Paul is thinking about people like you and people like me. People who we just read, he says, were dead in our trespasses and sins. We were slaves to the prince of the power of the air, following after the world. He says we were walking dead men, marching on a path to eternal damnation. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved you, made us alive with Christ to show us the immeasurable riches of his grace. Paul is thinking about the church, specifically about how God has thrown open the doors of salvation to everyone, to all of his enemies, as Pastor Jeremy mentioned just a couple hours ago. To Israel, yes, but now by the blood of his son Jesus Christ to Egypt and to the Cushites and to the Philistines too. And this thought of God's grace and mercy and his astounding plan that Paul can barely wrap his mind around Thinking about the church, what we're doing here today, it makes Paul want his knees to buckle in praise. And that brings Paul to pray this prayer. And in this prayer, Paul, inspired by the Spirit, teaches us to pray, and he teaches us how to pray as an Ephesians 3 church, so the kind of church that Pastor Jeremy just preached to us about. And what we see is that he teaches us we ought to pray, first of all, knowing the nature of the Father, Secondly, growing in the love of the Son. And thirdly, praising the power of the Spirit. And so first of all, Paul teaches us to pray knowing the nature of the Father. So like we said, Paul has just been meditating on the nature of the church. This huge, this enormous work of salvation that God is doing in the world. And he's thinking about the greatness of God's kingdom that Pastor Jeremy just preached on. But he's also thinking about his own weakness. His own frailty. We, we heard he considered himself the least of all the saints. We, we heard earlier, he was in prison at this point. He was in chains. And so Paul is thinking about this awesome God who is still working, still building this church, even apart from the Apostle Paul. And so Paul falls to his knees as one small, probably short, as Pastor Jeremy said, one small, frail man in chains. And he falls on his knees before the great king of the universe. But more than that, Paul's not just a small, frail man, is he? He goes on his knees before the king of the universe as that king's dearly beloved son. He kneels before his heavenly father. He's small in himself, but he has an amazing status that we share too. As a son of God, a daughter of God, an heir of life eternal. And so Paul calls out, as we see in verse 14, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father. What does he say about the Father? The Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. In other words, Paul is calling out here to the Father of all fathers. To every other father, every family, every dad in heaven and on earth, it says, derives their existence from this Father. They derive their significance, their status, 
all of the possessions that every father here has, they get it from the father of all. The one Paul is approaching in prayer. And so we can see here that even in the best fathers, I hope there are some great fathers in here, but even the, the wisest father, the strongest father, the richest, the most gentle and compassionate father, all the fathers here, they're just the faintest, dimmest picture of the true father that we all share. The father we can all go to in prayer with all of our cares and concerns. And that's what Paul does here. And we too should be encouraged like Paul to call out to this father who's waiting to hear from us, shouldn't we? Of course we should. We, our God tells us to cast every anxiety upon him because he cares for you. Why would you not bring them to him? That's right, buddy. <clears throat> Even the thoughts and feelings that you have that you can't put to words, bring them to the Father of all fathers and just leave them at his feet. Because we have this awesome Father who's powerful enough to know our cares and concerns. And he's also good enough to care. He wants to hear them. And so if you have concerns about school or about work, about your health or someone else's health, your family, if you're starting an intimidating new job, moving to a new province, fall to your knees in prayer to this awesome God because he's in control and he wants to hear from you. Maybe your concerns are broader. They're about the world, politics and wars and famines and droughts. Those are in this Father's hands too. Pray about those as well. But we should learn from Paul's prayer here. We can bring all of our concerns before our Father, whether they're big or small. But when we pray, we shouldn't just keep our prayers about our cares and concerns. The Paul here, he had some pretty big cares and concerns. He was stuck in a prison in Rome. But yet he doesn't just pray about his work and what he has going on. What he prays about here is about God's work and what God has going on. Let our prayers move on to that as well. Because what motivates Paul's prayer here is not just his own work, but the work that the Lord of the universe, the God of all history, is concerned with and has going on. What all of history, what all this world is about, what it's here for, is for God to work. To work building his church. That's what God's busy with. That's what he cares about. And so that's what fills Paul's prayer here. He, that brings him to his knees. What's most important is that God himself is gathering, defending, and preserving his church, even in the midst of Paul's great weakness. Right now, God is raising people from this death that we read about into eternal life to be lived with him. And in a sense that our God wants to hear our concerns, but, but what he has going on overshadows that a little bit, doesn't it? And you can see why Paul falls to his knees and prays in prayer. And thinking about this work in the church, Paul goes straight to the Father, praying that God's kingdom might come and his will might be done. Let's pray the same for Sardis Church. And what Paul prays for in the church is also instructive because he doesn't just pray for a balanced budget. He doesn't just pray for the physical health of members. But instead, as we see in our second point, he prays that you and that me and every Christian might keep growing, specifically growing in the love of the Son. And so Paul's driven for a prayer of church growth. And that's interesting. Because I, I, I hope all of us here often pray for church growth, right? But often we, we pray for external growth. 
We, we want conversions. We want new people coming into church. But Paul here, he gravitates towards internal growth. He wants to see you, each of you, grow spiritually. He's not just concerned about people having uh, a saving faith and then stopping there. He wants to see flourishing Christians. He wants us to keep on growing into the fullness of God. And so he prays to our Father. And like any good father that we have, he cares for us and he wants to hear from us. But he doesn't just want to leave us as we are. But good fathers, the best fathers, they're the ones who not only support you, but they also, they challenge you, right? They discipline you. They want to see you grow. They want to see you improve. And that's what Paul is praying for here. He's praying for growth in your spiritual life and mine. And he's not just praying for a little bit of growth. I wonder if you noticed that. Paul prays that God would absolutely transform you from the inside out. And me as well. And he prays this in three powerful ways. Look at verse 16 with me. There Paul prays that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. So Paul is praying that God might work in our spiritual, making our faith, our spirit, making our faith life strong. And how much does he pray that God might strengthen your soul, your faith life, your spirit? Paul says, according to the riches of his glory. Now anyone can pay you out of their riches. If my son Ezra pays you $5 from his piggy bank, he's paying you out of his riches. And if Bill Gates pays you out of his piggy bank, $5, he's paying you out of his riches. But now imagine for a second someone pays you according to their riches. Ezra versus Bill Gates. Paul prays that God would, pay, uh, would strengthen us according to his riches. Now just think about that for a moment. I once heard a really powerful illustration of what exactly that means. Uh, imagine you go over to someone's house and you meet their child. What does their child very often want to do? They want to show you their room. Right? Kids love showing you their room. They, they want to uh, show you, in a sense, their riches and glory. They want to show you their stuff, but not just their stuff. Their room's their little kingdom. It's an expression of who they are and, and what's important to them and what they have. And it's not just kids that have this desire, but adults can have it too. You can think of King Solomon. What did he do when the Queen of Sheba came to visit him? He wanted to show her his riches and his glory. And so he showed off the size of his kingdom. He showed off his military might. He showed off his wisdom and the physical riches that God had blessed him with. He showed off his kingdom. Now imagine for a second that God himself showcases to you his riches and his glory. What would God show you? Every animal, every tree, every city, every ocean, every star, every planet. And not just his creation, but more than that. Where are God's riches and glory? His, his everything, his personality most clearly revealed. It's in Jesus Christ. Imagine God opened up our eyes so we could see his riches and glory in creation and in Christ. We could perfectly see his justice, his beauty, his holiness, his love, forgiveness, and care for us. Paul says, he prays, Lord, 
according to all of your riches and glory. Bless these people's souls. Strengthen their hearts. What a prayer. What a prayer. And how strong does Paul long for our inner souls to be? We read that in verse 17 together. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And when we hear that, we should pause for a second. Say, well, what's going on here? What's Paul possibly praying for? Because that doesn't sound right, does it? Christ already dwells in our hearts, doesn't he? That's our hope. That's our confidence. We already say with the Apostle Paul, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So what's Paul talking about here? That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. It's important to note that Paul uses a very particular word for dwell here. It doesn't just mean to enter somewhere or to sit somewhere for a little while, but it literally means to settle in somewhere. It means to not just enter into a house, but to make that house your home. And of course, as all of you know, I'm sure, Chris and I just moved into the manse, and it's a beautiful house. And what we're working hard to do is make it our home, right? And so there's a whole bunch of stuff in it, and some of it we move around, some of it we plan to get rid of, some of it you have to get rid of for it to become your home. Uh, the first time I walked through it with a couple members of the church, uh, we stumbled across some books, and we took a look, and they were pretty dicey. And they were like, those got to go immediately. They have no place in our home. And that's what Paul is praying here, that Christ would dwell in us, but not just not just enter, but that he might make your heart his home. That he might get to work. And believe me, (laughs) for me and for you, it's not going to be throwing out a couple of books. What Paul's praying for here, and what we should too, is that Jesus would move in. He would start knocking down walls. He would start throwing things in the dumpster. He would get to work to completely renovate our lives from the inside out. Make us his home where he feels comfortable. We're praying that Jesus would walk through every inch of our heart and soul, that he would come along with us every minute of every day, in the morning, at work, at play, and that anything that doesn't belong in his house, he might destroy and replace with something more befitting his own home, his own nature. And then finally, Paul prays, To what extent he wants Jesus to do this, to renovate us from the inside out. He tells us the goal in the second half of verse 19. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Well, the fullness of God simply means the the manifestation of God's rule. Paul often calls the church the fullness of God. Because the church is where God rules. It's supposed to be a little picture of who he is. So likewise, Paul is praying that we might be filled with all the fullness of God. We might be a little picture of who he is. And I came across a lovely illustration of this. Uh, There's one pastor who goes up to his cottage each spring again after winterizing it. And so one of the first things he does, he he goes to his uh, water heater. And he opens up, cracks a little vent in the top. Then he He turns the nozzle and starts filling this water heater with pure, fresh water. And as he fills it with this pure, fresh water, old, stinky, musty air starts spewing out the vent. 
And so this pastor, he fills and fills and fills it with this good water until not a hint of that musty air is left. That's what Paul's praying here. That you, that me, we might be filled with all the fullness of God. That he might fill us up with his pure nature until there's no room for anything else. Everything impure, anything not worthy of the Father is pushed out. And so the question is, are we praying like this for ourselves? Because Paul prays that we would be absolutely filled with God's fullness, absolutely transformed. And I don't know about for you, but for me at least, this kind of a prayer seems intimidating. Of course we pray for transformation, we pray for change, but this level of change, is, it's unattainable, isn't it? It's praying that we might be like Christ, and those are enormous shoes to fill. We can't do it. We pray for it, but, but how can we? But, but Paul actually, he eases our minds by making it clear that this prayer for tremendous, unbelievable growth up into the fullness of the stature of Christ, as Paul calls it in the next chapter, is actually, first of all, a prayer for growth down. This prayer for growth up is, first of all, a prayer for growth down into the love of the Son. The way we grow up so tall into a dwelling place for Christ, full of the fullness of God, is first of all by digging down with the Spirit's power into God's love. And this love of God, Paul tries to explain it in our passage. I wonder if you noticed that. It's kind of hard to read in the English. and the Greek, it's even worse. Because Paul, Paul is grasping for words here, and that's something. I don't know how much you know about the Apostle Paul, but he was a brilliant man. By, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he wrote nearly half the books of the New Testament. And these are books that... Christians have been dedicating their lives to studying for 2,000 years and they're still mining out new riches all the time. Paul could, he could write some words. But here, Paul is grasping for words. He's trying to explain something and, he, and he's struggling. He just can't get it out. So what's Paul striving and yearning to explain to you? What does he think you need to know but he can't wrap his mind around it? How much God loves you. He wants to tell you, but he can't. He can't do it. Words just can't do it justice. Even him, inspired by the Holy Spirit, he can't. He tries anyway. He prays to God that you may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints, each and every one of you here, what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know Christ's love for you, that surpasses all knowledge. What we get here is like a picture, is like a child who's trying to put into words how much they love their parents. Have you experienced that before? It's pretty beautiful. Dad, I, I love you this big. I read a story once of a child who was just learning how to count. They got all the way up to the number six. One, two, three, four, five, six. And then they turned to their mom and said, Mom, I love you six. So the best they could do. Six is not a very big number. But it's all they knew. Once we told our son Ezra that we loved him to the moon and back, he told us that he loved us to church and back. The furthest thing he could think of. And now the same thing's going on here. But it's the inspired Apostle Paul who's trying to do it. 
He is trying to explain to you this love, how big it is, but the words just don't exist. He wants you to learn about this love, but he wants you to know that as much as you do learn about it, as much as you taste and feel God's love for you, and I hope that you do, that that, that, that amount of love that you feel and experience, as overwhelming as it is, even that is just a drop in the ocean. He wants you to dive into this ocean and, and swim around and inhale as much as you can and know that's just a sample. You can't rub, wrap your mind around the breadth and length and height and depth of this love. The biggest thing you can think of, that's a start. Now times that by 10. Now times that by a million. And you haven't even started. And what Paul's trying to describe here is the love of God for you that's most clearly displayed on the cross. Greater love has no one than this, that they'll lay down their life for a friend. And the God of the universe, he saw you. He saw you at your most unlovable, in your deepest sin and shame. Things would be embarrassed for anyone else to see. Yeah, God saw that. He saw me and you, wretched, pitiful, poor, naked, and blind. And he loved us so much that he sent his son down for us. And Jesus Christ loved you so much that he allowed himself to be stripped of everything, even his heavenly home, because he wanted to make his home with you instead. Now, as I was, as I was studying that, that blew me away, because I've experienced it recently. Moving away from home is hard. But Jesus was willing to leave it all behind for you and for me that we might live with him forever. And Paul prays, Lord, please, please let these people, let each of you start to grasp this love, this transforming, life-changing love, because that's how we start to grow so tall, is by growing down into this love that we can start to grow up into the measure of the fullness of Christ, as Paul calls it, being rooted and grounded in this love, rooted and grounding. These are two analogies here. You guys know what it means to be rooted? I hope so. You have some very big trees here, I found out. And how do these massive trees, how do they, how do they grow? How do they withstand decades, even centuries of storms and droughts? How do they become so tall and, and lush and magnificent? It's by having impressive roots. And if you see some beautiful buildings, Paul moves on to another analogy. The analogy of being grounded or having a strong foundation. And I went to Chicago once and this building blew me away. It looked like if gravity is a real thing, it should have fallen over by now, a long time ago. And how does this building stand? Well, we were having a tour and the tour guy didn't talk that much about the building. But he moved on to talking about the foundations. That's how it stands so tall. That's how it stands so magnificent. That's how it will never fall. And so likewise, Paul, he tells us to be rooted and grounded in this love. That we might not grow by our own strength, but by God's strength and his love, by the power of his spirit. And so Paul prays uh, that uh, we would not grow on our own strength, but by God's grace, by the power of his spirit, that our roots might dig down into the soil of Christ's love. And that by this life-giving, nutrient-rich soil, we might drill down into Christ, our one foundation, the rock on which we stand, and that we might continue to grow bigger. 
And so he tells us not to focus on the externals, the stuff that other Christians can see, but instead focus on the internal, growing deeper down into Christ. He prays that we might pile drive down. Have you seen that? When a tall building is going up, these pile drivers knock huge metal beams down into the earth. They can work for months, hammering, hammering, hammering. Paul prays that you might use the sermons, your church attendance, corporate worship, Bible studies, family and personal devotions, not as external checkboxes, but rather that you might grow deeper into the love of Christ so that you might grow into the fullness of God. And we, he prays that God himself might do his, this work because he knows that we're not capable of doing it on our own. We, we can go through the motions. We can uh, do our, as best as we can for family devotions, personal devotions, church attendance. But ultimately, the growth belongs to God. And that is a beautiful and wonderful thing for us to confess. Because instead of fearing uh, about our works, what we're doing, if we're working hard enough, if we're doing enough, if we're, we're growing enough to earn God's love, what Paul prays here instead is that by God's grace, we might learn about his love. The love he already showcased on the cross, the love we already are in possession of, His prayer is that we might learn it more and more and keep on learning it, as Pastor Jeremy mentioned earlier, for all of eternity, knowing God more, starting now, going on forever, knowing his love, starting now, going on forever. And so instead of fearing that we can earn this God's love, we pray, praising the power of the Spirit. As you may have noticed, Paul just made some bold prayer requests, incredibly bold. Remember how Paul started. He started weak, short, got to remember short, started weak, short, and in chains. And he falls down on his knees before the Father. And then Paul prays for all of this. He's banking on God's love. He's banking on God renovating us. He's banking on God doing all the work for sinners like us. And I think we need to ask for a second, has Paul gone too far? Has he asked for too much? He is banking heavily on God's infinite grace. And what we read here, what Paul tells us, is that he actually didn't ask for enough. Did you notice that? Paul says, towards the end of our text, he's praying to the God who is able to do far more abundantly than all we can ask or think. Or you can also translate, all we can ask or even imagine. Paul, again, by his limitation of his human words, he couldn't even crack the surface. This is the best prayer he could muster, but it's not enough. He could have asked for much more. So brothers and sisters, I have a question for you and for me, for all of us. How about your prayers? Are your prayers too big? Or are they maybe too small? If God had one piece of constructive criticism for our prayers, would it be, whoa, 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 settle down, you're asking for too much. Or would God tell us to draw more freely from his strength? Bank more freely on his love. Trust him more. Ask him for more. Because he wants to pour out blessings on top of us. Of course he does. He loves us so much. He sent his son to die for us. Will he not graciously give us all things? Why are we not asking for them? Are our prayers too big or too small? So brothers and sisters, we need to pray more. But we also need to pray more boldly. 
more confidently, more extravagantly, drawing on the blessings God wants to pour out on us. If we're fighting sin, for example, sin that we've been fighting with for a while, we can pray for forgiveness, and we should. We can pray for help, and we should. But we can pray more confidently than that, can't we? We can pray boldly that God in His grace and His power might crush the sin. Because we can't do it on our own, and God knows that. That's why He sent His Son. Pray that God would rip it out of our lives, that He would renovate us. If we're praying for faith, don't just pray for a little bit more faith. Pray that God might help us to know Him, might fill us to overflowing with His Spirit. Just ask. And I promise God will give astounding answers. Maybe not the answers that we're looking for. Maybe not the answers that we expect. But I know that God is graciously working all things for the good of those who love Him. And we'll see someday that His answers are far more magnificent than we ever could have possibly imagined. And so we can pray also with confidence. Praying to the Father of all fathers. Knowing that He's motivated by a love that we can never and never will possibly overestimate. He loves you far more than you dare hope or imagine. So just ask Him for what you need. Ask Him not just for help, for deliverance and salvation. Go to Him in dependence each day again. And pray boldly in accordance with God's will and, and wait. Remembering that He who gave His own Son will give us everything else as well. But as we pray for these things, as we pray powerfully, not just for ourselves, I hope, but also for this church, as we pray powerfully also, I hope, for our children, for our neighbors, for our brothers and sisters in Christ, what we need to remember is that God doesn't just answer these prayers on on His own, apart from us. But far more often, God answers these these prayers, as Paul says, more than we could possibly think or ask or imagine. He'll answer them that way through us. We read that again in our passage. Paul is praying to the God who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work in us. That's how God will likely answer these prayers for our children, for our neighbors, for our friends. We can pray that He'll bless their faith, that that He'll strengthen them in their time of need, but the way He'll probably do it is by working through us in ways we never would have imagined, ways we never could have done on our own. And so don't think that God will answer your bold prayer for your neighbor without you, but He'll do it by transforming and using you. Because that's how our Father loves to work. And so finally, Paul ends this prayer by returning to the nature of the Father and the love of the Son and the power of the Spirit. He prays that God Himself might answer His bold yet humble prayer for growth and transformation. And he prays that He might not just answer it for our sake, but also for God's own sake. That adds so much more confidence to our prayers, doesn't it? We're not just praying that God would work for our good, but also for His good. And for his glory. That's what we see in verse 21. There Paul says, To him, to God, be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. To him be glory in the church. And of course, that starts with this. What we're doing right now. We're glorifying and praising God together. Right. But what this prayer means is more than that. That in the church, there be glory to God. And in Christ Jesus, glory to God. What that means, first of all, is that God might be glorified in the change that He works in us. Does that make sense? 
That as God works so powerfully by His Holy Spirit and begins to transform us in ways we never thought possible, begins to transform us into the image of Christ, that people, that, that our spouse, that our brothers and sisters, that our friends, they might see that transformation and glorify God. That's what Jesus says. He says, let your light shine before others so that they may see our good works and give glory to our Father in heaven. And so, first of all, we ask that God might work powerfully in us, transform us, not just for our sake, but for His sake. That people might see and praise Him, because why would they praise us? Why would they possibly praise us? All glory be to God. But Christ moves, or sorry, Paul moves beyond that. He doesn't just pray that glory be to uh, God in the church, but also glory be to God in Christ Jesus. And again, that should be a model for us as well. We pray that God might transform us into the image of Christ so that people might see us and praise Him. We want people to look at us and catch a glimpse of Christ, but we don't want them to keep on looking at us, never. Don't look too close. Look at us, catch a glimpse of Christ, and then please, look to Christ Himself. That's where true beauty is. That's where salvation can be found. We want people to to look at the transformation in us and then go to Christ for transformation themselves. That's true for our children. That's true for our spouse. That's true for our neighbors as well. And may that be true for Sardis Church. That we might work hard, that people could look at Sardis Church and catch a glimpse of Christ, but don't look at Sardis Church too long. Instead, look to Jesus Christ. Go to where salvation can be found. That's what Paul was praying for and striving towards. And as we uh, start this exciting new chapter in Sardis, may that be our prayer that we strive to as well. May God reveal himself to us all the more clearly in Christ, and not just to us, but to all those around us, that all of us may grow in the knowledge of God and continue to teach it to our children and their children, and we continue to learn about and live to God from now into eternity. And now may we conclude our sermon and our prayer with the Apostle Paul, thinking about the church, thinking about the church being humbled, being driven to our knees by God's work and transformation, and proclaiming, to God be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Let's sing in response how deep the Father's love for us.
Together with the church of all times and all nations, we confess our undoubted Catholic Christian faith as we find it summarized in the Apostles' Creed. Let's sing the Creed as we have it put to music in hymn one. Let's bow before the Father of all fathers in prayer. Let's pray together. Awesome Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for this opportunity to worship you. Thank you for this opportunity to get you know, to know you just a little bit better. Lord, you're so far beyond our comprehension. Your love is so far out of our grasp. But Lord, please teach it to us. Lord, we long to know it. Help us each day again to know it more. Lord, thank you for your great love shown in Jesus Christ. Thank you for your great love shown each day. Lord, now that you've chosen us, now that you've saved us, please don't leave us on our own. We know that you won't. Lord, please keep, uh, keep blessing each and every one of us. Pour out your love and your grace upon us each day again. Lord, we pray that for all of the saints in Sardis, Canadian Reformed Church. But we also pray for it in particular uh, this Sunday. Uh, for some certain families, anyone who's struggling, anyone who's struggling with depression or anxiety or mental health issues, anyone who's dealing with grief or the loss of a loved one, Lord, please strengthen them in particular. Fill them up full with your Holy Spirit and with a deep sense of your presence and your love. Bless us all in this week and all of our tasks and struggles. We ask in particular that you'll bless the Van Winkoop family this week. Lord, we know they had a challenging week. And we pray that you might strengthen James and the rest of his family as they grapple with James' struggles with mental health. Lord, we beseech you and trust that you will work even through this and somehow use these struggles also for their good and also for your own glory. Lord, thank you for the way you've been working in us. Thank you for how much you have done already. Please continue to work in us and transform us, not just for our benefit, 
but for your glory as well. Lord, bless this church here, but also bless the rest of your church. This incredible work of salvation that you have going on from the beginning of the time till end. Lord, bless this congregation and this federation, but also bless the URC church, our, our faithful sister churches. Lord, we know their synod is convening, convening tomorrow, and we ask that you'll grant all the delegates an extra measure of your strength and your wisdom, that you'll pour out your spirit upon them as well, so that they can make decisions that are, are faithful and glorifying to you. Lord, thank you that you give us all that we need for body and for soul. And thank you that we can come back to you each day again, each moment again, uh, with whatever requests that we have. And we can trust that you, our awesome Father, will not be hesitant to give, but will give more generously than we can possibly think or ask or even imagine. Lord, thank you for the spiritual nourishment that you provided today. Uh, Thank you also for the physical nourishment that you've given us. Lord, we're about to have a wonderful opportunity for fellowship and for some dinner, and we ask that you might bless that meal that we have together as well. Lord, use that food to strengthen our bodies, and use uh, that strength that you give us as well for your glory and for our neighbor's good. We ask these things not because we're worthy at all. Instead, we ask them humbly, amazed by your power and your grace in Jesus Christ. Amen. So in our worship services, we have the opportunity uh, to show our thankfulness to God for all his uh, wonderful gifts uh, by having uh, time for a collection. And these collections, they don't go at all towards the operating budget of the church, but to other worthy causes. And so the collection for this afternoon is for word and deed.
brothers and sisters, lift up your hearts to the Lord and go home in peace. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. So once again, I uh, remind you that we have a communal dinner, so I invite you all to join. Um, we're going to set up some tables and chairs in here, so any, uh, any of you men who want to help out, that'd be awesome. Um, and then I want to also express a huge thank you to all the ladies who organized the food, and then Derek and uh, Chris will be up here emceeing the event. So we'll take a few minutes just to get all settled, and uh, thankfully Pastor Tim uh, opened with a word of prayer already, and so you can grab your food and start eating right away. Thanks.